Good evening and welcome to What We Lose in the Shadows, a father-daughter true crime podcast. My name is Jamison Keys. I'm Caroline. Today's trigger warnings are femicide, domestic violence, and murder. Okay, so today's a little different because I have no idea what the case is. I was given almost no detail besides what I needed to um, deduce what the trigger warnings would be. So Today we're going to be talking about a more recent case uh, than some of our cases of late. This case happened in 2018 at the University of Binghamton in New York. This is going to be about uh, Haley Anderson. And uh, Haley was a vibrant, uh, intelligent, beautiful girl. She was born on May 9th, 1995. And like many of the victims, she was adored by her family and her friends alike. She grew up in a small town called Westbury, New York, and Haley always wanted to be a nurse. Uh, and given her really her kind and her caring and uh, compassionate personality, that was a surprise to no one. She was a fifth year senior because she decided on nursing a little later in her college career. In fact, Haley was only a few months away from graduating. She already had a job waiting for her, and her dream actually was at some point to get out of the cold weather and go to California Mm -hmm. and work a freelance nursing job uh, so she could travel around in her vintage VW van. Her mother actually described her as a free spirit and sort of a millennial hippie. Oh, I love that. While in school, uh, Haley met a young man who went also to Binghamton, and his name was Kevin Ocampo. They had kind of an off-and-on relationship, though. Um, Haley explained that she didn't want a steady boyfriend during her college years because she wanted to experience college to its fullest, Mm -hmm. and she didn't want the added pressure of an exclusive relationship. Mm -hmm. She met, uh, during her her freshman year there, uh, another nursing student by the name of Orlando, and he was born in Miami and uh, also grew up in Nicaragua. And like Haley, he was described as a hardworking, very serious student. Orlando's father was actually a physician, and that may have been what sort of drew him into the medical field to begin with. Mm-hmm. Even though they met years earlier, Haley didn't really forge a friendship with Orlando until her fourth year. During that fourth year, they met at an off-campus fraternity party and Orlando had been recently recruited to the fraternity by Kevin Ocampo, who was who was Her. Haley's on and on on and off again boyfriend. So Orlando's and, just a friend. Or Orlando's not even that at this point. He's just an acquaintance. Okay. And they met again at this fraternity party. They kind of hit it off, right? And apparently, it was in one of these on or one of the off again <laughs> situations oh, yeah. with Kevin. Mm-hmm. So they met and they hit it off and they started dating a little bit. Haley, staying true to her desire to maintain a casual relationship, told you know Orlando that that's exactly what what it was, and and occasionally they would drift apart. Mm-hmm. But that didn't sit really well with Orlando, with Kevin, or Orlando. Oh God! Orlando was a little different in that he would uh, drive past Haley's house often, and sometimes Haley and/or her roommate would discover Orlando on the front porch. Oh smoking. God! Without her knowing. So Without her like, knowing. Right. Just on an off chance to see her on her as she went on in and out uh, on the front porch. So giving stalking. A little bit. Yeah. So Josie, who was Haley's roommate, was often, often given the task of going down to tell Orlando that he couldn't just stop by unannounced. She said that Orlando was really possessive and jealous and really sort of obsessed with Haley. Shortly after uh, Haley and Kevin were on again dating. Orlando found out about it at a party at his house. The next day, 
Haley posted a Snapchat that all four of her tires have been slashed. Oh, my God. Now, this can and often is uh, a really a red flag. And it was so to her family, too. Yikes. Haley's mother, when asked about Orlando, uh, said that she thought he was a cul- whether she thought he was the culprit or not, said, absolutely. I said, Haley, you need to make a police report. Mm-hmm. So the police came over um, and they took all the information down. And they pressed her to press charges, but it was over $600 in damage and under New York state law, that was considered a felony and that would have kicked Orlando out of the nursing problem. As he should have been. Eventually though, um, Haley forgave Orlando after a few months, about six months in fact. So he was in fact responsible for slashing all of her tires. Never admitted, but it was pretty well known that that's exactly what happened. Mm Mm-hmm. So about six months later, just right before, a few weeks before graduation, Haley and Orlando were seen entering his apartment by a security camera. Mm -hmm. Orlando was caught later going in and out of the building, but Haley is never seen leaving. Oh my God. One of Haley's roommates uh, was reading poetry over the weekend, and uh, this is something Haley would almost always go to. She was just mm-hmm. a, that gr- a great friend like that. So she so was she, reading poetry like to an audience. Correct. Okay. And and Haley didn't show up, which wasn't super uncommon, but kind of a... Like, where is she? Where is she? So nearly seven hours after arriving with Haley, Orlando is seen uh, cleaning the driveway up, mm. uh, taking garbage out, and then mm-hmm. leaving. Police would later find a receipt that was found in the apartment, uh, which basically tracked Orlando's movements to a local pharmacy where he had purchased... Uh, quite a bit of Zequil and melatonin. Oh my God. Of course, both of which are sleeping aids. So it's believed that Orlando drugged Haley and then strangled her in her sleep. The police would later find evidence that Sarah may have tried to commit suicide by hanging himself. The security camera shows him entering the basement and bringing up some tools and things and hooks. The police would later say that they found the hook screwed into the ceiling and a tie that had been tied onto one of them. But apparently his weight was too much for the hooks and they broke. So Sarah was later seen with a bandage on his head and he must have struck his head when he fell or when the hooks broke. Police also found a letter apologizing to the family at the scene, maybe an attempt at a suicide note. On the morning of March 8th, footage showed him leaving the house with suitcases in hand. Oh, my God. He drove to JFK International Airport and boarded a flight to Nicaragua. However, as the days passed, one of Haley's roommates, Michelle and Josie, became worried. The girls uh, stopped by the house and knocked on the door and called her phone repeatedly, and they went by Orlando's house. And they noticed uh, that Haley had that little sharing app Mm -hmm. to see where the other people's phone were, which is, listen, a great idea if you're living with someone, if you're not even in a relationship. But if you want to keep track, it's a great way to show where your phone is. I have so many people on my, like, find my friends or like the, is that what it is for Apple? Find my friends, right? Mm -hmm. I have my best friend. I have my girlfriend. I have both of my parents. I track multiple friends just to make sure that they get home safely or uh so basically after a while they decided to take matters into their own hands and uh they went to orlando's house and knocked on the door but no answer Hmm. so josie boosted uh michelle up on her shoulders into the window and uh she crawled in oh my gosh shortly thereafter she screamed and her roommate called 911 I love that they just broke in and were like determined to find their friend. Like good for yeah. though. Those are some good ass friends. That's right. 
Haley's body was found by the police that afternoon on March 9th. Wow. On March 9th also, uh, Karen Anderson, Haley's mother, was notified by two police detectives that her daughter had been found strangled to death. At first, her mom couldn't process that, you know, what the police were telling her. She blamed herself for not pushing Kaylee to file charges against Orlando. Definitely not her fault. Definitely not Kaylee's fault. Definitely no one's fault except for the person who decided that they were going to take someone else's life. Right. What a piece of shit. Absolutely. As the police began their investigation, they got access to the security footage uh, from the scene. And an investigator was assigned to it. His name is Lieutenant Corey Miner. So on um, Sunday, March 11th, Tessera was officially named as a suspect by the police. And they also stated that Tessera had fled to Nicaragua. The Broome County District Attorney, Stephen Cornwell, began to build a case against Tessera. He stated that in a news conference that he would be seeking an indictment from the grand jury uh, for murder. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is that there is no formal extradition agreement with Nicaragua under the circumstances uh, where one of the the persons that you're trying to extradite is a citizen. So if a Nicaraguan commits a crime, uh, if an American commits a crime in Nicaragua or vice versa, the individual countries aren't obligated to extradite their, their own person. Right. Citizen. Okay. Which is shitty. It is, and it's tricky, but, and remember, Orlando had uh, dual citizenship, so. So it's like in a gray, but I guess it would just apply to both. Right. So the procedure goes something like this. The DA presented a warrant for for Orlando to the United States Department of State. Mm -hmm. Now, the State Department, in turn, asked the Nicaraguan government to extradite the suspect. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the DA told the family that he was very optimistic, in fact. He said, I think I think there's enough a preponderance of evidence that basically, you know, this guy's guilty. And also, why would Nicaragua want to protect a murderer? Like, it's not like something small, right? a, a victimless crime. Like, it's a, it's a huge crime, and you don't want a murderer running around on your streets, like, hurting your other citizens. Yeah, but there's been a lot of cases uh, with um, people in different parts of the world not wanting to extradite someone back to the United States. I wonder why. <clears throat> well, sometimes it has to do with a lot of countries don't have the death penalty and we do. And oh. they won't extradite someone back oh. if there's a possibility that they could get the that death they could penalty. face the death sentence because that that, also, that makes sense. It, it doesn't it doesn't. I mean, it, you know, I mean it, it is it is extreme and a lot of countries have gone away from that, but that's one of the big problems with extradition between countries sometimes well that does make sense though because like if they believe and a lot of people do here and other places that um the death penalty is unethical then they are required you know by their own morals not to extradite them and it's not that they want to keep that person it's the fact that they don't believe that a government should tell someone that they should die which is a very complicated matter Right. And and the other thing being, and the United States, more often than not, won't rule anything out. They, they, the United States will say, you're not going to tell us what yeah. we can or cannot try them with or what the maximum level of it could be. Yeah. So that's, that's problematic. That's interesting. Too. Yeah. I wonder why the U.S. does. I guess they just like don't want anyone telling them what to do. Well, that's kind of the American spirit, right? kind of fought a revolution for that i mean yeah but like also don't you want a murderer off the street don't you want her family to get justice for sure you know you could see it both ways it's interesting for sure 
Like most cases, it's it, there's no easy black and white subtext there. Right. So, on Monday, classes were canceled uh, for the senior nursing students in the wake of uh, Haley's death. Thank God. Absolutely, and and also on that same day, the president of the college and the this, the dean of the school of nursing uh, released a statement in mourning of of Haley's death As and extending cons- and extending condolences to the friends and family. To Sarah, when he did arrive from the airport uh, to his mother's house, it was a smaller town. Uh, in Nicaragua, but they they fled. They got out of that house. They they having found out what happened, she took him to another place, and I believe uh, she took him to a much larger city in Managua. Tesero, uh was apprehended uh, shortly thereafter by the Nicaraguan National Police on Tuesday, March thirteenth, at a hospital as in in Managua, Nicaragua, called the Hospital de Leon, uh, and he had entered the country on Friday. And, and as I said, um, told his mother that he had attempted suicide because he felt so bad about killing Anderson that um, she went and she placed him in this hospital under the care of a psychiatrist. So um, after they arrested him, uh, Orlando was taken to the uh, district uh, judicial assistants, also known as El Chapote in Managua. The Broome County District Attorney officially released the warrants uh, for Tessera's arrest. Back in New York on March 17th, Tessera was officially charged by the grand jury, and the district attorney did indeed get the second-degree murder charge, and that meant he could face life in prison without the possibility of parole. The district attorney also released the information about how it all came to be and that, you know, Haley's um, actual roommates had gone there and, and taken upon their own initiative to go inside the house. And they found her and they had called on one one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would remain kind of up in the air uh, for the next year and a half. Wow. In 2019, the DA got a call from the Department of Justice and they told him that there was good news and there was bad news. The bad news was they decided not to extradite him. Mm-hmm. And what is the good news? The good news was that they were willing to try him in Nicaragua. Okay. Now, Cornwell and the family were kind of, you know, they really were, you know, kind of not real optimistic about how that was going to go. Right. As a matter of fact, Cornwell himself, the district attorney said, there's not a snowball's chance in hell that they're going to bring back a conviction. Why, though? I don't know why they, he would think that. Well, because uh, there'd been some precedent in other cases where uh, Central and South American uh, countries would say, we didn't find any evidence that that corroborates that, and we're not going to charge him, and oh. we're not going to extradite him. Okay. So, remember, in the U.S., he was going to be charged with murder in the second degree. Mm-hmm. In Nicaragua— How in the second? Because he didn't premeditate it? Right. Murder he in the first— he did, didn't he? Because he bought that um, sleeping medication. That's a great point. I'm just saying. But like, you can't prove that they it couldn't. It was for him? They couldn't prove that it wasn't for him. Okay. Um, and so on. So they they couldn't really, they, they felt like there was a better chance of getting a okay. murder in the second degree conviction. Gotcha. And it's a tightrope the DAs and police walk all the time. Yeah. Um, just to, you know, you want to make sure that the person pays Absolutely. for what they did, but you don't want to be so locked into murder in the first degree that maybe you don't win the case in doing right. that. Okay. And in this country, of course, if you try someone uh, under murder in the first degree and they're found innocent, you can't retry them under the double jeopardy law. That's crazy. It is and it is. I understand why they have that law, but still. So in Nicaragua, he would be charged uh, for a crime that doesn't even exist in the United States. Mm. 
um, he would be charged uh, with with the crime of femicide, which, as you covered a couple weeks ago, right. uh, is the murder of a woman uh, whom with whom this person has a relationship with. Oh, is that what it is there? Yeah. Femicide? Okay. So the DA was worried uh, that it would be a show trial, and uh, not really long after that, they received information that uh, they would be assisting the prosecution in in the the trial. Uh, the big problem was they only had eight days to prepare uh, for the trial. The Nicaraguan authorities uh, allowed them to participate via teleconferencing. Uh, also, a single judge and not a jury of peers would be deciding Orlando's guilt. The trial began with the prosecution calling their first witness, who was Haley's mom. And as she was testifying, she noticed that Tessera was sitting there at the defense table, acting bored. Oh. Uh, she said he looked amused at points in time and also, you know, kind of arrogant. I'm not surprised. A lot of these, like, women killers are like that, especially when they go to trial. Right. Um, they also called Haley's roommate and wow. uh, Josie. And uh, she testified that uh, Orlando was very possessive and would simply show up at the apartments, um, you know. Yeah, it's fucking creepy. Uh, they also called uh, Orlando's roommate uh, and also uh, Haley's boyfriend, Kevin. Oh, my God. Who was, remember, uh, yeah. Orlando's former fraternity brother. So um, one of the most impactful testimonies uh, was when they brought uh, Binghamton detective Carl Peters up, who... Uh, methodically went through every frame of security camera footage, every scrap of evidence found at the scene. Uh, they also heard from the coroner who explained uh, the manner of the strangulation. Ugh. And the prosecution arrested. Orlando's defense attorney tried to push an insanity defense. Oh my gosh. The defense claimed that due to uh, a night of heavy, heavy drinking, Orlando Tessero was temporarily insane. That's crazy. They called their one and only witness, a psychiatrist, Dr. Ronald Lopez Aguilar, and he said that Orlando claimed that he had no memory of killing Haley at all. That's insane. He simply woke up the next day uh, with a really, really bad hangover, and he, just then he found that Haley was dead. You know, that is just not an excuse. I mean, I've honestly, I don't think I've come across a case, and I consume a lot of true crime. Um, for and better alcohol. or worse. No, not an alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> that they were insane by way of drinking too much. In, in, insanity due to Jack Daniels. Yes, yeah, no, no. no. Yeah, that's that's often a, a kind of a, you know, just something people say, oh, he was he was so drunk he had no idea he was doing it. Right. But, and I've, I've heard of people being like, oh, I said too much or I, you know, whatever or, well, you know, it's sure. Just, alcohol does heard. lower in inhibitions, right? But not to the point of murder. Yeah. And that's what the district attorney said. He said, there's absolutely, it's ridiculous. There's absolutely no evidence that he was so drunk. He had no idea what he was doing, that he sleepwalked or anything like that and murder people in his sleep. He said it was a ridiculous, indefensible position. Yeah. Even if that did happen, you obviously are a monster. Right. And, you know, gotta you don't go. belong to you walk around go. among us anyways. No. So, you know, that's even, even uh, Dr. Aguilar, uh, who said that, that had, that's what Orlando had said, that he woke up the next day with a hangover just to find her body dead. The doctor, to his credit, also said that he could not testify whether any of that was true 
only that at the time that he interviewed Orlando, that he his current state of mind was was nothing wrong with it, it was fine. Okay. So um, both both rested at that point, and it was sent to the judge. Now here's here's where I think uh, the case catches a break. The judge was a lady. Yes, perfect. I love to hear it. And um, she also did something really unorthodox. After she listened, she listened to it all. Um, and she did something kind of un- unorthodox in that she allowed Haley's family to have the last word. I love it. So after some deliberation, um, she did actually come back and she did convict Orlando that he had committed these acts, that he wasn't insane due to drinking. And he was convicted and sentenced to 30 years in prison. Only 30? Only I 30. mean, that's that's still, okay, for second degree, that's fine. Oh, but it was for femicide. It was for femicide. Okay. So, yeah, he was, and I think that might be the maximum sentence. Now, I'm not sure if they're, I think they may have been trying to retry the case later on with an appeal. But um, that's, uh, Haley's family said that they, you know, they were just sad that, all the heartache and pain that he had caused uh, all the, his family, her family, all her friends and that sort of thing. Um, but that they felt that, uh, you know, justice had been done and that uh, he would not be in, put in a position where he could kill another girl. See, that's the thing about these young abusive relationships or older abusive relationships. But I think, you know, these, these type of like high school, college aged, relationships that turn abusive or turn like in the way of like stalking you see it and people dismiss it because people are young but i you remember back when i was in high school i had a horrible boyfriend a horribly abusive boyfriend who was a piece of shit and i remember crying on multiple occasions because he pushed me into lockers and i had went to the nurse just to calm down and i remember the vice principal or maybe Maybe the assistant, I don't know what the difference is. One of the principals came over and told me a story. And I always look back at this and I I think I'm just so appreciative of her saying this. But she sat me down and she was like, I just want you to know that if you continue with this, you could die. Like this isn't something, this isn't trivial. This is something very big. And she told me that she had a friend, one of her very close friends, whose husband killed her and then killed himself. And she wishes that she could have, saved her life by telling her to get the fuck out of that relationship. So if you know someone in an abusive relationship or if you are in an abusive relationship, have someone to talk to, you know, and really like think about how serious this could end up because, you know, no matter how old or young you are, this could be the fate. If you stick with these people who don't give a shit about you and, you know, listen to their actions instead of their words, because of course, like way back when that boyfriend of mine back before I came out, obviously, but that boyfriend of mine, you know, told me how much he loved me and how we would be together forever and whatever. But, you know, it, that doesn't mean anything if they're going to, like, slap you or if they're going to push you into ha- into lockers or do whatever or scream at you nonstop. Like, it's it's unacceptable behavior and it trends towards a violent way. My mother, my parents were, I had great parents, as, as you did as well. I did. <laughs> But uh, I remember my my parents gave me two separate pieces of advice. My mother one time told me, if you listen to someone, if you really listen to them, that they will tell you exactly who they are. They will. 
It's true. And not just verbally, but by their actions. They mm-hmm. will let you know in no uncertain terms who they are, mm-hmm. right? And uh, my father, my father, uh, my father passed away when I was uh, fairly young. He passed away fairly young too. But before he did, um, he tried to impart upon me um, certain realities and certain ways to to treat women, right? And I don't think enough fathers actually do this. And or to he, treat anyone. To treat anyone. Um, but he was mainly focused on on women. And he told me he made it very clear that if I ever raised my voice, um, you know, maybe that's not realistic, but raise my voice or let alone raise a hand to a woman that he would stick his size 13 foot <laughs> up my backside. And, <laughs> and even at 12 or whatever I was, that sounded so unpleasant. And I decided never to do that, but yes. no, but I, I think, but, but I think it's really important to talk to young boys, especially as a father. And, uh, and I've done so with your, your brother. And unfortunately, I think your brother's a good kid, and that would never even come to his mind. No, no. But I explained the same thing, and I said, "Listen, that's not tolerated. I won't put up with it." So, yeah. So, I think that's very important. It's definitely extremely important to talk to young men about this, but talk to everyone because everyone is capable of these horrendous, abusive trends. And if you describe and show love the way that they're supposed to see love, so right. if you have a good relationship in your marriage, or if you are good to the child typically like they'll they'll grow up to not be an abusive piece of shit and and also one one last thing i think it was in a country and in a region that it's been a long time coming for women to come to positions of power Mm -hmm. in central and south america everywhere everywhere but i mean in south america as well Mm -hmm. and i think this judge and i wish i remembered her name because her name is worth remembering because she took a stance. Yeah, she did. She took a brave stance. And I think that makes all the difference. It does. We looked up the judge's name, and I'm going to try my best to pronounce it, but it's Judge Fabula Betancourt. And she said that Orlando disposed of Haley because he did not accept that she had control over herself. And those are very powerful words. Follow the show on whatever streaming site you're listening on. And remember, all of the source material will be available in the show notes. And follow us on Instagram at What We Lose in the Shadows. And let us know if you want to hear a specific case. Or if you just want to give us some feedback. Okay, join us in the shadows next Tuesday. Bye.